What's up, Law Nation? It's another beautiful day to be alive. So happy that you can join me today for another episode of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. Don't forget, when you have a few moments, go check out escapethebillable.com and snag our free passive investing guide. It's absolutely free. You guys have nothing to lose. So here on the podcast, we preach that real estate is a long game because typically it is. Uh, You invest over time, generate cash flow and income replacement in the near term, then appreciation and wealth in the long term. However, if you have some significant capital to get started and are able to leverage the time and expertise of the right people, you can quickly accelerate the process to financial freedom. Our guest today has unlocked this formula to go from house flipper to passive real estate investor to scaling into 200-plus unit apartment complexes in really just a year's time, one year, during the pandemic, all while working a full-time W-2. It's really incredible. Hamal Badiani is the founder and managing partner of Exponential Equity, which focuses on his passion of helping busy families achieve financial freedom through fantastic opportunities in commercial real estate investments. Prior to establishing Exponential Equity, Hamal provided management consulting services to several Fortune 100 companies across three continents while creating a portfolio of businesses that he successfully scaled and exited. Now, on to the show. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Hey, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, for sure, man. We've met up a couple times and uh, really happy and excited to have you on the show. Yeah, I am excited to be part of this journey of yours. All right, man. So uh, let's just jump right in. What, tell us a little bit about your story and, and you know, feel, feel, feel free to brag a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, more than bragging, I'm super grateful and amazed uh, about my story and I like I like it every time I tell it. So my uh, background, <laughs> my background comes from a management consulting side. So I grew up in a family of businesses when I landed here in uh, the United States from India a couple of decades back, joined a consulting firm, you know, traveled three continents, worked with a lot of Fortune 100 uh, CEOs and CEOs and uh, the leadership to pivot their businesses and help them scale, help them bring efficiency, help them bring new products or new ideas to the market uh, and, and help them with, uh, you know, growth. So when, when it came down to internalizing some of that for, for our business and the way I wanted to structure our company, it was really, really interesting to see what ideas and thought processes and structures and systems that I wanted to bring to the table. And I always thought about, you know, not just doing a transactional business, but actually building something that as an entrepreneur, not a small time business owner and, you know, building a business at scale. So last three years, uh, I focused on single family flips um, and got into that business a little bit. And then uh, come 2020, I exited a very profitable uh, flipping side of the business 
to jump right into commercial uh, asset classes across the board. Heard for heard about syndication the first time in 2020, and uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, go into a couple of events uh, right before COVID hit and uh, find a couple of mentors, invested the time and money, and jump right in passively. So my first passive investment was in April, right in the middle of COVID. Nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> But I, for some for some reason, I just got the clarity that you know multifamily investments, uh, especially just the macroeconomic trends, are, are so amazing um, that the, the, these investments are sound, predictable, safe, for my own money. So, did about three passive investments uh, and then jumped right into the active side. It was doing a one-two punch, you know, finding a consortium of operational partners that bring the decades of construction experience and industry experience while building our own team of partners and team members that allowed us to scale again and bring the structure and rigor. So uh, long story short, closed on two deals in September, won 208 units in Tulsa, uh, another 128 units in uh, Louisiana. Uh, we're about to close next week, December 14th or 15th, uh, one deal in Illinois, about 64 units. Uh, and then we have two under contract, uh, one in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where, you know, pretty close by to us in Charlotte, and then one in Dallas. Um, so excited about the momentum, the team, uh, and the structure we have so far, and uh, looking to not only build in the multifamily space, you know, try and do three deals a quarter, uh, but we've expanded into land acquisitions um, and looking at other asset classes like office, triple net leases, uh, even hotels next year. We'll see. That's incredible, man. How do you think you're able to scale that quick? Uh, it was finding those principles of those CEOs that I learned from, right? So one was, like I said, the vision, right? Many people invest for the fact that they want to have financial freedom and which is a fantastic motivation to invest in. But, you know, that means you'll focus on one or two transactions, how to maximize, you do the math and say, Hey, I need $10,000 a month to run my home. Well, how do I get that in three deals or four deals? Right. And for me, I had the vision and I, I always do is to build a billion dollars company in 18 months. Uh, and for that to happen, you got to think about, you know, who are your repeat investors? How do you think long term? What type of team members and partners you want to structure? And what type of due diligence processes, systems uh, and, and teams uh, and relationships you need to build? So the approach is a little different, longer term thinking. Um, and that's that's the first part. And then, you know, making the right decisions to for action and going by the gut, understanding where we are, continuously evolving uh, as we grow as, as a team. We have a team of five now, and hopefully the sixth member will join next month uh, from an investor relations standpoint. Um, and, and then, you know, trying to pivot left when everybody's turning right. That's the other component that we've had to differentiate ourselves uh, on how we bring up above average returns for our investors. Yeah, it sounds like you you had a really clear vision of what you wanted and what the end goal was, which was to create, you know, a certain amount of passive income over, you know, a certain amount of time. And in yeah. order to do that, you built a team and a system. And most importantly, you took action. Yes. Yes. 
and doing yeah, things the right way, right? You got to build a brand that sustains for the next decade or two. If you just are focused on two or three opportunities and investments, um, you know, the, the way you focus on them in my mind is different. If you focus on does this investment create a brand that would last 10 years from now, folks who are investing with us would still 10 years from now say, Hamill and his team have done a fantastic job and I would recommend them from, from an investment standpoint. That's the type of trust and credibility we have in the market for our previous companies and work that we've done. And that's a trust and credibility we want to build in the business. Yeah, in a, in a real estate syndication business and really any business, I mean, your reputation yes. matters so much. And especially, yes. like I said, in this business where you have investors that are just gonna keep repeating and investing with you, then this is, you've got to do things the right way. Yeah. Yep. Let's rewind a little bit, man. So any particular reasons you jumped out of flipping in single family? Yes. Uh, it was tough uh, to exit that business because it was profitable, but transactional. Uh, yeah. Honestly, it was taking, sucking up a lot of my time. So again, I, I could have done a couple of flips, a couple of, uh, assignment of contracts a month and be fine, relatively speaking, from an income standpoint. But the way I think is scale. So I had a handful of resources offshore, a handful of resources onshore, quickly became a big team. You know, you try and imbibe your culture and values and um, so many meetings to make sure employees, from their perspective, the morale is high. But it was really transactional, right? It wasn't a long-term mm -hmm. wealth building aspect. And the number of hours that I was putting in, it was more self-employment, small business than actually being an entrepreneur. When I think of a Fortune 100 company, right? This, if you think about the C-suite, what they focus from a time perspective is completely different from senior management, middle management, frontline employees, et cetera. So you, you cannot have a multi-tier system, or at least I couldn't do that in, in the residential flipping space. Um, so, but it was a struggle, right? You, you can't just exit something that's so profitable. Right. Uh, and at that stage, I, I actually found a, a coach, a performance coach, and I hired that person and he really refined my mindset and said, you know, you get to come down that mountain to climb up another one. It's going to be hard, but there is something that is your true calling that you got to aim and you know it in your heart. And so, with those words, I actually completely shut it down, uh, the, the whole business, and uh, jumped right into uh, multifamily investments. Yeah, I think that's a good point too, man. I mean, whenever you want to venture into something new, I'm getting a coach or a mentor or someone that's done it before yes. really expedites the process. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't do it any, anywhere, any, any, anywhere else but with a coach or a mentor, right? And the, the reason is uh, it not only expedited, right? You, it, I like to have more than one coach or mentor. I always, at this moment even, I have two or three coaches and mentors that I have subscribed to. And the reason is some people will teach you about mindset, some people will teach you about business. And within the businesses, everybody has grown organically to evolve their structure and processes. So again, coming from a consulting background, you want to leverage when, when a CEO in the consulting world asks you, 
hey, what are the other banks doing if I'm a bank? Or what is Amazon doing in customer service that I could look at? You really have to look at it holistically across the board on trends and how things are evolved. So learning from two or three people allows you to build your own structure and say, this, these are my best practices. This is what I want to automate. This is what I want to keep manual or relationship-based, whatever the case may be. So that's been super helpful. Yeah, and it's good to get a couple of different perspectives too, because sometimes you might get pigeonholed into one mindset if you only listen to one person, then you find yourself a little bit lost. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. Flexibility is the key, right? In terms of any sort of business. For sure, for sure. Um, so like many of our listeners, I think you still have a full-time W-2 job. Is that right? I do. I do. I'm a senior vice president at uh, Wells Fargo Bank. How in the world are you able to balance that <laughs> with all the stuff that you just mentioned? I mean, from the flipping business that you were obviously doing yeah. a lot of transactions with to, you know, now as an active commercial, passive and active real estate investor. Yeah, it, it was a relative use of my time, right? So when I was in the consulting world, there was a lot of time spent intercity or interstate or intercountry travel. And then you were at the uh, client site for 12 hours after the client's gone, you as an internal team are doing meetings. Um, so 60 hour weeks was uh, something that was just normal or minimal. Uh, and when I moved to... <laughs> The financial world, um, you know, I have a full-time admin, uh, a great team. So a respectable work-life balance was achieved where I could work remotely, even pre-COVID, um, you know, drop my kids to school and, and do all the things that made the most sense and were important to me. And that allowed and freed up time because I have five-year-old twins. So we've kept them on a regimen of during school days, you know, they sleep by 7.30. So, yeah. um, so from that 7.30 to 12 a.m., it's, uh, it's a, an amazing amount of hard work. Um, most days, my wife and I are sitting laptop to laptop next to each other, a music or something going on. And uh, we, we work really hard, man. That's, that's the only way to do it. Yeah, just work really hard, man. I mean, you've got to figure out, you know, when you can carve out that time to, yes. to get the ancillary things done that you need to get, that you need to get done. Exactly. And, and it's a sacrifice for something that is your true calling, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like work when you enjoy it so much. Right. And then when you want to take time off, are you taking it for vacations or are you taking it to do due diligence on properties? <laughs> There's so many get puts and takes uh, and tough decisions as a, as a family that you have to make. But if, you know, you do that for one season, whether it's one years, two years, five years, whatever the case may be, and that's your goal is to achieve something, uh, in my mind, it just, you know, collectively, if you're aligned as a family and do it, then after that, life is golden. Yeah. And, and you know, if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, it sounds like you are. I mean, we put in an incredible amount of hours of work a day. You're talking about the 60 hours. I mean, we put way more than that a yes. week, but, but we're doing yeah. something that we enjoy doing. So it doesn't feel yeah. like we're just, you know, slaving away at a job or something like we're actually enjoying what we're, what we're putting. Absolutely, man. We could, I could go on 24 seven in talking about real estate and <laughs> all my <laughs> friends would tell you that. And uh, it, it, that's, that's, that's the calling, man. It's so much impact each community, you go in there, you meet the tenants, you, you have a vision for how 
that community could be upgraded for the people who live there, families, how many of the lives you're touching and impacting. It, that to me is just unbelievable that this type of investment can bring versus any other asset class, right? Any other asset class, you're doing commodities and transactions and earning money, which is fantastic and you know should be a good goal to bring your financial freedom. But this gives you that cherry on top of getting uh, to impact and meet people who are impacted positively by the work and sweat equity that you put it. Yeah, for sure. I think that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. I mean, whenever we're transforming these communities, the tenants are really benefiting from turning these things around and giving them a better place to live and a better place to raise their kids and just a better yeah. life in general. Yep. Yep. Um, so during your career, did you have kind of an aha moment where you started looking at alternative investments and really got into, I guess, flipping to begin with? Yeah, I, I speak about this all the time. It was a, it was a tragic day uh, for my family at that stage. Uh, it turned out to be a very lucky day. Um, but I was consulting up north and up in Boston, um, working long hours again, traveling Monday through Thursday, at the very least, if not Friday. Uh, and when my twins were one years old, uh, my daughter had a skull fracture um, one day. So, you know, got a, got a call from a wife, multiple calls, you're in the meeting you, after two or three calls, you're like, Oh, there's something going on. Uh, and so I stepped out, I picked up the call and immediately the, the ground was shaking. Right. And, uh, you didn't know what to do. So, you know, tears in my eyes, I'm trying to find, tell my clients, Hey, I, I got to head home drive to the airport, find the next best flight uh, and reach home physically. Um, unfortunately, she was fine, uh, you know, didn't need any surgery or naturally healed uh, the fracture. Um, but, you know, just that trauma um, made so much determination in my mind where I was chasing a, a ladder from a corporate structure standpoint and uh, it made me introspect really seriously and say, is this how I want to spend time with my family? Is it how I want to spend time in, my, in this world? Whether it's five years or 20 years, whatever the case may be that I'm here, um, what, 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 what is the highest and best self that I could achieve? Um, and where do I focus my time on? So that led me to slowly, um, it was an overnight thing by any means, but slowly, Bring the conviction to, you know, uh, stop that consulting gig, joined, joined the financial world, uh, and then led me to start this as well. So I'm thankful and grateful that uh, that that big, tragic, seemingly tragic moment at that stage uh, allowed me to pivot to what I believe would be an amazing, amazing uh, life for my future. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an incredible story, man. It's unfortunate that that had to happen for that to kind of click in your mind, but yeah. you know, luck, luckily it turned out all right. And you're, you're a better person and your family's better off for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so especially since you've done both and you're, you're working full-time and you've worked full-time and done the, the flipping and now the commercial real estate, I mean, what are your thoughts about, active versus passive real estate investing. I mean, some folks that are listening to this are thinking about getting 
getting into passive investing in these commercial deals, or, you know, they might be thinking, Hey, I'm pretty interested in this. I want to do the active side. I mean, what, what are your, just your general thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's, what's your goal, right? You got to start with a clear vision, right? If you truly love what you're doing as a passion, if you're a lawyer or doctor or something like that, and you, you earning tremendous amount of high income, you want a great diversified portfolio to, invest money in, then potentially passive investment is, a, is the best vehicle for the time being and that season of your life. Uh, I know a lot of doctors who did 35 years of just their medical practice. And when they retire, they bought three office buildings and turned it into WeWork-like facilities and sat back, right? Because the world of real estate, you can invest at 80 years old, right? Doesn't need to have you don't have the larger buildings and commercial assets you're not there with the hammer and the nail and trying to fix stuff right mm -hmm. you have to manage a lot actively and it's a lot of effort to do it uh it's not discounted but what where is your vision and what season of life are you in right when when my twins were one years old i probably wouldn't have done what i'm doing in the commercial side because i wanted to focus on spending time with them and frankly, you know, not staying sane <laughs> with the yeah. changing diapers and stuff. So, you know, that was, that was a season I had uh, over the last couple of years as they grew, they've freed up a lot of my time to focus on things and potentially when they go to college or um, are in the teens and, you know, more self-independent, then uh, it, it'll be more time of mine provided to this. So, that's where, where I come from is don't, you know, if you want to build your life in your terms, you got to start with where do you see yourself 10 years from now, 20 years from now and backtrack and see what you want to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, going back to what you're talking about, the doctors that bought the office place, I've heard a few different nightmare stories about lawyers and doctors that have bought commercial buildings just kind of out of the blue and they don't have any real estate experience at all. And they yeah. just, they lose their ass because they, <laughs> they think, <laughs> Hey, we're smart people. You know, we can get this done. We can definitely yeah. run a real estate business. And then it just, it's a mess. <laughs> we, we love those sellers. <laughs> Cause I can buy those distressed properties. Yeah. Um, that, that's, cool. it's, uh, that's where I had to shift my mindset to, right. I own a single family portfolio. And in the single family one, you own one asset, you give it to a property management company to charge you a hundred bucks or 200 bucks, whatever the case may be. And, you know, you've got one tenant and if the tenant is great, stays on for a few years, then nothing much to do, right? There's no phone calls. If you have a good property management company, nothing. So it's a very autonomous business. And that's why it earns, in my mind, less returns than a commercial space. Uh, from an investment standpoint. So if you take that same model and assume that if you're out of state and you can just plant a property management company and let them run the business without any incentives or metrics or KPIs to drive towards, a, you're setting up yourself for failure, right? And so you really have to have someone as a partner to be the operational expert to make sure that on a weekly basis there is call there's kpis on what's happening uh, the property management team in this case are your tactical team right they might be looking mm -hmm. at what's happening for units that are vacant right now but who's going to look at hey next quarter are we going to get 20 
leases that are coming up, right? What are we, what are we doing from a marketing standpoint? So you really have to think like a CEO or a management company to manage the property management company. And that's a part people forget that's a lot of work, right? It's not just finding a deal. It's not just selling the asset at a profit and in a great market. It's the actual five years of work to renovate, to make sure the tenants have the right things, to, to manage the property management company, to inspect physically what's going on and to continuously raise the bar for both from, a, from the actual property standpoint and wherever your maximum profits come from, right? The ideas, because um, you have a fiduciary responsibility unless you're just putting your own money to other investors that have subscribed to you, to your investment to make sure their returns are maximized as well. So, yep, I mean, we've come across a whole bunch. And like I said, we, <laughs> love, we love those kinds of sellers. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta be careful. I mean, a lot of people say you should invest passively first, kind of get the yes. feel for things. Yes. see how the deal works. And then if you want to take it a step further, then maybe go into the active side. Yeah, we did it three steps, right? We, we, did, we did three investments passively with three different projects that allowed us to see how things work, right? Who does the best reporting? Who does, again, it was to build our own business, yeah. but who, who is the most communicative? Who had the most conservative estimates? Um, you know, which markets are, are the right ones for us. So we evolved our thinking. The next three deals we did, we were active, but we actually were okay being junior partners because we wanted to learn the next level of granularity on weekly calls and working with property management firms. Again, all three deals with three different partners. Mm -hmm. And that allows us to now bring three different best practices and build our own business the way we want to. Uh, all future deals, we will be doing ourselves as soup to nuts, you know, the lead sponsors and finding the deals ourselves, running them ourselves, uh, and maybe bring a couple of junior partners who own three, 4,000 units that allow us to have that bad phone uh, to make sure that operationally we're doing everything the, the right way. Yeah, I love that, man. Just take the best pieces of each deal and each, each thing that the sponsor does right and then implement that into your own business plan going forward. Exactly. Exactly. All right, man, I hear you talk about against the grain investing all the time. So tell me a little bit more about that and what that actually means. Yeah, absolutely. So it, what I've seen in the market is, you know, most people when they start investment, again, they don't, they might not have the time, they're trying to get into action, they're not getting, you know, trying to not get overwhelmed with all, all the webinars and three-day meetings and events that are going on, right? A lot of <laughs> yeah. information funneling to you, right? And you get lost. And sometimes you get frustrated and you're like, all right, I need to do something. And so what they start with is, hey, these are the 20 top markets in the United States. Um, and here's what my deal criteria is, 1980 or above, cookie cutter right? That's what I call it. And if you stick to that criteria, you are against 60 other people, institutional buyers, depending on the size of the asset mm -hmm. that are trying to buy that asset. And in my mind, you, you cannot help but overpay, right? The risk level in a, in a multifamily investment profile should be lower against all the other investments. And in this case, the risk level becomes a little higher right? Because you're overpaying yep. the asset and something could go south. So you don't have enough contingency in your plan built for that. 
so our philosophy is, well, are there other markets beyond the top 10 that have, you know, might not have a declining job population, but they're a great, you know, or might not be growing 5%, 10% every year, but are they growing 1% or 2%? Are they steady enough with diverse jobs where people still want to live, right? This is a core asset. People want housing, people want great housing and uh, older houses and apartment communities are not being built that much. So we, we look at that as one philosophy. We look at heavy value add or distressed, not just stabilized 95%. Again, you're paying that retail premium for buying something that other people have put in the sweat equity to get it to a stage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and done for you, right? And you're just running it. Um, so we try and buy something that is true value add, you know, putting $10,000, $15,000 takes turn, two years to turn, 60, 70% occupied. That's the other philosophy. And then we look at other asset classes, right? People say, oh my goodness, office is done. Well, well that's great. But what if it's an office of FedEx employees, right? If it's right. a call center, right? Are they going to come back, right? So if it's leased up for the next 10 years and people are panicking and everything from a valuation standpoint is going down, can you make enough money, right? Without assuming too much risk. So our philosophy is if we want to scale and be consistent with above average returns for our investors, we have to look at assets that we're not just one of 60 people, and trying to just say, oh, my relation with the broker is the best and my price is the premium. And that's why I'm gonna get this deal. That everybody can do that, but sometimes the music can stop, right? We've seen that in 2008. And you don't wanna be the one holding that hot potato because you just paid so much premium to the price thinking three years from now that asset value is just gonna keep on going up. So that's where we we call it against the grain. But in in my mind, that's the only way we should invest. Right. And really there's a creativity portion to that, right? I mean, you've got to get creative nowadays, especially in a hot market, you know, we're probably towards the top of the market. I mean, it might continue here. Nobody really knows the future, but it's, you know, it's, it's about being creative so you can get a good deal. So you can make this thing work. Even if it does, even if the market does make a little bit of a turn, if you get it right, then it's going to work anyways. Exactly. Exactly. And the creative financing side, you just hit, hit pretty well on that. We look at that as well. Is the seller willing to keep a stake in the, in the asset? That's the first question we ask, right? Well, they yeah. want X. Great. Can they carry 20% of paper <laughs> uh, yeah. if they want X, right? Because then your yeah. debt side of the equation, the, the game and the math completely changes if they say yes to something like that. So again, yeah, creative aspects, finding the deals that there are only 10 people bidding on it rather than 60 is what what we aim for. Yeah. And speaking of against the grain investing, I'd love to hear your opinion about investing in traditional assets like stocks and bonds and mutual funds versus especially nowadays where that stuff is flying through the roof right now for good or for for good or for bad um, versus alternative assets like commercial real estate. Yeah, my uh, my personal experience has been really bad, right? And uh, so whenever I have timed the market cycle, I've mistimed it uh, from a <laughs> stock, stock perspective. Yeah. So I've lost money, right? And I don't understand 
when I ask someone a question, well, why should Amazon be $4,500? And they are like, well, that's because, you know, they're selling a ton of money or a ton of products. Well, that's great. But what, what does it make it go from 2000 to 4500 for selling? Are they selling two and a half times? What have you done in terms of research? And there's none, right? So that scares me because um, yeah. I've earned, earned money really, really working hard. And uh, so I shy away from those kinds of investments personally. A lot of people put a lot of effort and it's a great diversification strategy for a lot of people. So again, it's a competency. If you treat it as a business, if you take the emotions out, if you're sticking to trading with data analysis or somebody else has the research done and they're giving you some sort of information to you know help you, whatever the case may be, then yeah, you can buddy up or spend your time. For me, my full time with the job, with my family and uh, commercial real estate, that's, that's where I want to spend and focus my time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Love it, man. Well, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Uh, mind, I meditate for sure and listen to uh, Alan Watts um, and try and read some books at a time, but more more listening uh, to good good lectures from or, around meditation or just silencing the mind. Body, uh, it's good amount of walks and uh, I've not been my healthiest self yet, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe <laughs> join the burn boot camp. <laughs> there you go. Well, 2020 has been pretty rough. It, it takes a yeah. lot more effort this year to stay, uh, stay at your tip top shape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in an alternative universe where you weren't involved in real estate, what would you be doing? In an alternative universe, uh, I would have my own real estate fund for sure. It'll, it'll be great to uh, leave some of the inefficiencies of gathering capital out of the picture and really helping communities the way I want to uh, and, and shape them. Gotcha. Well, I think that's still real estate, but I'll give you a pass there, brother. <laughs> <laughs> where, where were you at five years ago and where do you see yourself in your business five years from now? Where was I five years ago? I was uh, with my consulting company, Accenture, uh, trying to be a managing director. And in five years, I would have at least a billion dollars in assets under management. I love it. Love it, man. How has passive income made your life better? Uh, it's made me think about freedom very consciously. And, you know, the, the vision and goal for our family now is has changed and the, the vision goal for our family is our biggest personal expense should be vacations and experiences mm -hmm. and uh, our biggest my biggest professional expense uh, should be masterminds and uh, mentorships so that's different from you know gathering material things or buying the biggest house or anything of that sort which right. many of the rat race you kind of keeping up with the joneses um, mm -hmm. So we're, we're glad we've evolved uh, from that standpoint. Yeah, I like that, man. I mean, I always try to take one, at least one big, long vacation a year, but I'm trying yeah. to get that into like two or three. And I mean long, I mean like three weeks. Um, yeah. Whereas most, most people that have a W-2 job can't do stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. 
All right, man. Well, it's been great. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah, uh, they can. I'm pretty active on Facebook and LinkedIn uh, at Hamil Bagiani. And then uh, our website is www.exponential-equity.com. Awesome, brother. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you and uh, hope you and your listeners got something out of value and happy to reach out to anyone uh, from, from your world that uh, reaches out. For sure. Oh, man, incredible how quickly Hamal has scaled and the amazing things he's accomplished in such a short amount of time, all while working a full-time W-2. And I love his concept of against-the-grain investing. See, you can do it too. It is possible and even probable if you surround yourself with the right people and focus your time, effort, and dollars. That being said, I'd love to chat with you guys about how you can allocate your time, effort, and dollars to create significant cash flow and wealth so you can practice when you want to, not because you have to. Start by going to escapethebillable.com to get our free passive investing guide and to join our Esquire Investing Club at PassiveIncomeAttorney.com to gain exclusive access to educational content and our investment opportunities. Have an incredible day, folks, and celebrate the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.